Good morning. Uh, my name is JP, and uh, I'm a pastor of a church up in Orangeburg, about an hour away. And I'm really glad to be with you all this morning to open God's Word. And um, actually going to have the um, privilege of being with you the next three weeks. So um, over the course of the next three weeks, um, it's my desire to um, encourage you to um, kind of remind us about what it is that we're about as a church. You know, I was looking at the front of your bulletin and it says communion with God, community with one another, and compassion to my neighbor. And man, in God's providence, that's, that's what we're going to talk about the next three weeks um, from the Gospel of Luke. So um, if you're not turned there yet, go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter 10. Uh, so we'll be looking at that passage together. And um, let me pray for us as we begin. Join, join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here in this high school and in this community of North Charleston, where we know that you love, um, you love each one of us because of Christ. We confess, we have confessed our sin. We have heard about your grace. We have uh, rehearsed that good news of Jesus over and over already in this service. And so, Lord, now draw our hearts to hear from you and to see you and to taste and know that you are God and that you are God of mercy and compassion. You're a God who calls us into community and to communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to repeat after me. Ready? Life. Loss. Love. And life. Life, loss, love, and life. Those are our points for the sermon today. And the first one is this. God designed people for life in community. God designed people for life in community. At the beginning of this passage, the lawyer stands up and he asks something odd. You know what he asks? He says, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, I want a good life. I want a good life. I want, I want to know what I need to do to inherit a good life. What lever do I need to pull to get a good life? And how does Jesus answer him? He answers him in a way that I probably would, I wouldn't think to do this. You wouldn't think to do this, but Jesus answers him with the law. The law, which is summarized with these words, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor with yourself. Jesus says to him, do this and you will live. But what is this man searching for? What does the law point to, the law of love? What does it point to? It points to community. It points to God's design, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back to the beginning of the story, where God created people, he created us for relationships. I want us to go back to Genesis 1. You don't need to turn there, but I want you to listen to these words. This is from Genesis chapter 1. God said, this is at the very beginning, okay, God's making everything, and he says, let us make man in our image. 
After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And then over in chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, Sorry, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God creates man. He creates man in his own image. He creates him male and female. And then then in the next breath, God says something's not good before he created the woman. And he says it's not good that the man should be alone. Why? Because God created us for community. He created us in his image, and we get a glimpse of God's eternal, what we call in theology, his triune nature. Okay, we get this, we get this idea, this glimpse of this right here in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, so God said, let us make man in our image. Us is singular or plural? Plural, right? So there's this sense and this, this glimpse that God, that, there's, that God is one God, but there's more to God than this one. There's, God exists eternally, as we know in the full revelation of Scripture, in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God has eternally existed in his essence from all time and before time. As a community in himself, God can love because God is love. God is a loving community in himself. That's where we get the word trinity. It's tri, three, unity, one, three in one, trinity, triunity. And so when God creates us, he creates us in his image. And the creation of humanity didn't add anything to God, but it invited us into this, into this community that God was making. As one pastor said, God invites us to join in the divine dance. And I want to, as, as, as the scripture continues and as time moves on, we get, we get a real clear picture of this triunity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son, the eternal Son of God, made flesh, comes to live among us. And in his last days on this earth, Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father. And he says these words in John chapter 17. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus, as an eternal member of the Trinity, as God in the flesh, is longing for the presence of the Father, for for the fellowship that he had with the Father before the world existed. There is something in God that, 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 that is community, that is fellowship, that is love. God is love, right? 
And so when God created us, he created us for love. And that's how Jesus answers this lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you were created for. Everyone longs for genuine and meaningful community. Don't we? We long for it. Why? Because we were created for it. We were created for community. And if you or I are living our lives in isolation from other people, if we're living in isolation from our neighbors, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, if we're living in isolation from our fellow church members, or even our family who maybe we have had conflicts with, if we're living in isolation, then we're not living a fully human life. Because God created us in his image to live in community. And so, practically speaking, when we go home from a long work day, or we've been with the kids all day, or we're just tired, God wants us to resist the urge to avoid the neighbors. Resist the urge to avoid the neighbors. Why? Because those brief conversations that we have, those connections that we have to our neighbors are how we experience the image of God. They're how we experience the life that God has for us. We were created for each other. You were created for the people sitting in this room to live in community. You were created for the people who aren't sitting in this room, who are around your house, around your neighborhood, out in North Charleston, One of the issues that has risen to the surface in recent years is the Confederate flag. And I live in Orangeburg, which is a majority black community. And so we have a guy who owns a business on the south side of town, and he flies a big Confederate flag. And uh, it's a very divisive issue. You know, it's obviously um, not super loving for him to do that, but that's not his perspective. He thinks, hey, I'm just doing this because of my heritage, trying to honor those who who fell in the Civil War, which I understand. I don't really want to talk about that, but I want to talk about why. Why do, why do people cling to symbols like that? To the Confederate flag. Why? Because they're longing for a community to belong to. They're longing to belong to a community for their identity to be connected with other people in the past and in the present. That's why we hang out with people like us, because we want to be connected to people. It's how we were created. Another issue that's come up in my ministry in Orangeburg is something called Pan-Africanism. Okay, you probably have never heard of Pan-Africanism. But basically what it is is this desire for African Americans whose ancestors were basically stolen from Africa to sort of reconnect to their African heritage. And so you all know the movie that came out recently, Black Panther, so, so most of my black friends and probably some of your black friends went to see it, and a lot of them wore a dashiki, which is sort of an African garb, to go to the movie. And you think, wow, you're not African. But there's a longing, there's a, there's a desire to connect to that community. Do you get that? So, 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 so that is just evidence that God has created us for one another. God has created us for him to live in community. But we know that all of these communities, whether it's uh, being a Southerner or whether it's being connected to Africa, 
We know that all of these communities, apart from our connection to the community, apart from connection to communion with God, are only a shadow. They are only a dim reflection of what we're really made for. And so these good desires that we have for family and for heritage, we need to to, to orient those desires toward what they were really created to do, and that is to draw us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God designed us for life and community, but man's sin brought the loss of community. When we read this story, we almost take the violence at the beginning for granted. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Violence is such a normal part of our lives. that We almost take that for granted. Okay, this guy gets beat up. He's stripped. He's left half for dead. Not only do we fail to love God and our neighbor, but we spend a great deal of time harming one another, hating one another, building grudges against one another, whether in our family or in our church or in our neighborhood. I mean, look no further than the headlines, right? Look no further than your, than your Facebook feed. And we see the destruction and the loss of community, the breakdown of relationships because of sin, because of rebellion against God. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, their relationship with him and with one another was ripped apart. They were blaming each other for the very first time. But most of the time, our loss of community is not about beating people and leaving them half dead on the road. Sometimes it is, but not usually. Usually, it's more about apathy. It's usually more about avoidance. It's usually more about ignoring people that God has called us to love. Hatred is apathy. Much of the time, it's just not caring. And so, when when the lawyer hears Jesus say, the way to eternal life is through community. The way to eternal life is to love God and love neighbor. He seeks to justify himself because immediately he knows, okay, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I need to love in order to fulfill this command, God? Who is my neighbor? See, the lawyer was okay with people in his culture. He was okay with people in his clique. He was okay with people in his economic standing. But I think he felt the sting of that law. He felt the pain of love your neighbor as yourself in that moment. He wants life, but he knows he can't get it. He wants life, but he feels incapable of truly loving his neighbor. And so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we know Jesus goes on to tell him, the man who was a neighbor to him was not the fellow Jew. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. It was the foreigner. It was the one who is not like you in any way. That is who became a neighbor to him. 
It's easy for us to think about the loss of community in our nation, in our communities in Charleston or in Orangeburg. When we think about the history of our nation, we think about slavery, we think about the way that we have, we have always abused one another. We have always used one another. We have always harmed one another. We've always passed by on the other side of the road, like the Levite or the priest. Think about how much strife there is in our relationships, in our marriages, or among our neighbors or at work. How much loss of relationship, how much loss of community, a loss of what we were created to enjoy because of sin, because we put ourselves first. Because we avoid and ignore people who God has called us to love. Our relationships and our institutions and our communities do not work for the good of every person. They don't work for the good of every person. And the solution is not Republican or Democrat. There's no savior on Capitol Hill. And there never will be until Jesus (laughs) makes Makes, makes our prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven complete. There's no way for us to overcome this loss. It is a complete and utter loss. But the good news in this story is that there is an answer. There is a restoration. So that life that we were created for and the loss of it would be met with love. And so Jesus is restoring community by his love. And the, and, and the, and the, the crazy thing is that the, the man who proved to be a neighbor, the man who proved to be the, the true lover was the foreigner, was the Samaritan, was the outsider. Samaritans, as you probably know, were a mixed race group of people. They were not accepted by the Jews at all. They were outcast. They had different customs and had developed different religious practices. They had a different culture, different preferences. Yet this is the one who stopped to show mercy to the man on the side of the road, the ethnic and cultural minority. The one who was despised shows compassion. Let's change the setting. Okay? Let, let's say that this story took place in Mississippi where I was born back in the 1950s. So just imagine the same story took place in Mississippi back in the 1950s and a group of, of uh, we'll just call them racist or white supremacists, they were, I, I had a, a, a great, I had an a uncle or a cousin or someone who was part of one of these gangs in Mississippi and they went around terrorizing black people and became part of uh, lynch mobs. This is one of, my, one of my direct ancestors that we have stories about. So let's imagine that one of these groups suddenly uh, turns on one of their own. Um, he he double-crossed them or something, and they beat him and leave him on the road half-dead, this white supremacist lying half-dead on the road. Now, imagine that, that, a, that a city councilman is walking down the road, and he, and he sees this bloody mess, and he, and he sort of turns up his nose and walks to the side. Now, imagine that, that a pastor is, is on his way to church. He's, he's, he's hurrying because he's late for Bible study, and so he crosses the road and passes to the other side. 
And now imagine a black man, maybe the object of this man's scorn, sees him lying on the side of the road. What would possibly, what would possibly motivate him (laughs) to give any concern or care for this white racist supremacist on the side of the road? I can't think of anything except the love of Christ. This is a similar situation to what was going on in in Jesus' story. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And so the Samaritan in the story was empowered to love his neighbor in some sense, because he knew what it meant to be despised. The Samaritan knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be hated. He knew what it was to be bloodied and dead on the side of the road. And so I think as, a, as, a, as one who knew that and who understood acceptance and forgiveness, he was empowered to love someone who's, who's been rejected like that, who's been hurt like that. If you've been hurt and you've received help, you've received forgiveness, then, then you're motivated by that to love and serve the people in your life who've been hurt. You know, Jesus was despised and rejected. Jesus was, as the scripture says, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And he gave himself freely and sacrificially Like the good Samaritan, he gave himself when everyone else passed by you and me, dead and wounded in our sin, Jesus comes to us experiencing experiencing the pain and the, the, the difficulty of this life. He comes to us and he spends his own money to rescue sinners like you and me. You know, John three sixteen. I want to focus on one word here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see that? Should have eternal life. That's what the lawyer was looking for. That's what we're all looking for. We're looking for life in community. And so... We experience the loss of that community because of the way we treat one another, because of the way we're treated. And yet Jesus is sent by God. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. At the heart of the good news, at the heart of the Bible is sacrificial love. Self-giving, self-pouring out love. And if, if, if we don't know our own need of forgiveness and we don't know our own need of help and of mercy, then we will never truly show mercy. We will not be ready to show mercy to other people because we haven't received it ourselves. I mean, why doesn't the, why doesn't the priest and the Levite stop? Because religion to them is just an exercise. It's just pulling those levers to get what they want from God. But, it, but, but, but I don't believe they've ever really truly experienced his forgiveness or his grace, the gift of Christ. They haven't experienced it for themselves. And so how can they show compassion to someone on the side of the road? 
We were facing the wrath of God because of our sin. We were facing eternal punishment. We were bloodied and beaten on the side of the road with no help for self-improvement. But God, but God sent his son to be the good Samaritan to rescue us, to bind up our wounds, to put us into a place of healing at his own expense. That's what grace is. It's getting God's riches, getting God's blessing at no cost, getting it as a free gift. A lot of times this story is moralized. It's, you know, let's be like the Good Samaritan. Let's go out and do good as the Good Samaritan did. And, and, and Jesus actually says, go and do likewise. So there's some, there's some good reason to, to take that. But I think we first have to see ourselves in the story, not, not as the Samaritan, but as the man bloodied and laying on the side of the road, the one in need of grace, before we can ever get back up and go and help other people. We first have to find ourselves recipients of God's mercy before we can go and show mercy to others. The good news about Jesus is not only the power for getting saved, but it's also the power for going saved. I, want, I like to imagine, what, how did this guy's life change? The guy who was on the road, beaten and bloodied, you know, after the story, he gets such care from the Samaritan, the stranger who, who was his enemy, who, who loves him and shows compassion. How does his life change? How is he now empowered to see his Jewish friends, those who are close to him, how does he see them differently now? How does he see Samaritans differently now? I mean, his life has changed, you know? He, he's, he's now got a new experience of life in community because of what happened to him on that road. And the, the hope and the promise that we have today is that God promises eternal life in community. The lawyer wanted to know about eternal life. Jesus tells him, love God and love your neighbor. And here's how it happens. It happens by grace. It happens as the Son of God comes to give his life in your place, to take on your suffering so that you can be forgiven of all of your guilt and you can be given a new life. The Samaritan put him in an inn and promised that he would return. The Samaritan put this man into a loving community in the end, and he promised to return. And isn't that what the church is? We are the place where God, where Jesus takes bloody, messed up, sinful people, rescues them. He rescues them. He saves them. He gives them new life, and then he brings them and puts them in the church. And he says, bind up his wounds, take care of him, help him to get better. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to pay all your bills. That is a picture of what, that is a picture of what we are as a church. We are to be about 
binding up, bringing restoration to people who Jesus brings in our doors here at North Charleston High School. Whoever Jesus brings in the doors and says, look, this guy's on my donkey, he needs help, that's our job, is to be that loving community, to be that in where we can help, where we can participate in what Jesus is doing, to bring people from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from loss to love, and to eternal life. Two very quick action steps at the end here. Two things that you can take away from this message. The first one is get saved. Maybe you find yourself today and you feel you really identify with that guy on the side of the road. You've been beaten up. You've been beaten up by other people. You've been beaten up by your own mistakes that you've made. You've been beaten up by sin, whether it's somebody else's sin or your own sin, and you feel beaten and bloodied today. The first thing to do is to admit. Admit that you are in need. Admit that you are on the side of the road in need of salvation. You cannot pick yourself up. You've tried. You can't. You need to get saved. (laughs) You need to come to Jesus as he extends his hand to you and receive his forgiveness, receive life, believe in him. Believe that he has come to pay the full price for your healing, for your salvation. And then follow him, love him. Get saved, that's the first point. And more of you, the second point will be there. Go saved. You've been saved, now go saved. You've, you've, you've been healed, you've been forgiven, you've been brought into this community of life. And now we get to go back out into the world and look for people who are bloodied on the side of the road, for people whose lives have been made a wreck because of sin. And we get to show the love of Christ to them. We get to extend his hand by our own hands to love our neighbor. As Jesus said, go and do likewise. That is the call to go saved, having first been rescued and now to go in his strength and his power. Would you pray with me? Our Father, you created us in your image, you created us for community, and we blew it. We turned to our own way, we set ourselves up as king, and we made a big mess of everything. Not only our forefathers, but we have done that. We have chosen our path instead of your path over and over and has left us damaged. It has left us in pain or maybe deluded, thinking we're okay when really we're suffering on the inside. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, that you would move each one of us here to get saved, to admit our sin, to, to believe in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, to receive salvation for ourselves, to allow you to take us and heal us and pour out your resources, your grace, to give ourselves to you. I pray that some today would, would, would respond in faith for the first time and that you would renew all of our faith for those who have believed that, Lord, you would call us to go saved. <laughs> 
to look to our neighbors, all of them, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, and to, to show the compassion that we have received from you, to show it to other people. Lord, would you do this work in each of us? Would you do it? Would you make Two Rivers Church a, an inn where people get better? An inn where people receive the healing that Christ provides? Lord, would you continue to make this place a community where eternal life is experienced by all? In Jesus' name we ask, amen.